He's already been dead and it's messed with his head. It's John's post-life crisis. Welcome to John's post-life crisis. I am your host, John Johnston, founder and current site manager of cornnation.com, the Nebraska Cornhusker site for SB Nation. I am joined today by Travis Miller, who is the founder and manager of HammerAndRails.com, our SB Nation Purdue Boilermakers site. How are you doing today, Travis? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself, John? I don't know. It's hump day, and it's in the morning, and I haven't even thought about that yet, really. Um, Okay, today I thought we'd... Start. I'm going to start by telling you a story. I guess I'm going to tell everybody a story. Uh, I'm an old crusty man. That's not the story. Uh, I, when I was at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln uh, in the 80s, uh, I ran for student body president, and my party was the scum party. That's a completely different story. One of my platforms, one of the planks on which I ran, was this concept that the University of Nebraska should merge with the University of Kansas. That way, Kansas would get a good football program and Nebraska would get a good basketball program. It was a win-win situation. And it's funny now, what, 30 years later, that this is kind of still true. I mean, it's, it's pretty much still true, right? But when I think about Purdue... I, I think about kind of in similar terms. Uh, I don't know if you find that insulting or not, but from a Nebraska standpoint, uh, most Nebraska fans and alumni feel that we should never, Nebraska should never lose to Purdue in football, that we are the superior program, the superior, we should always have a superior team. And I'm sure that Purdue fans and alumni probably feel the same about Nebraska's basketball program. What do you think of that concept? I mean, it it depends. I don't think we've ever been uh, as consistently down and out in football as Kansas has been because Kansas is – they've been really, really bad. I mean, just – then again, Purdue was in 2013. That was the worst Purdue team of my lifetime by a very wide margin. But even even Kansas has had a couple of moments of success. I know that 2007, obviously, you win the Orange Bowl and you go. They were what 12 and one, 13 and one. Yeah, that's pretty good. And I I think Purdue has been one of those programs that, when we have been good football wise, we've really been you know solid nationally. But we've just had a lot of ebb and flow. I know uh, we've only won the Big Ten eight times, and only one of them has occurred in the last half century. But there's been some moments of uh, really, really solid play. I know the late 60s under Jack Mollenkopf, we were ranked number one a couple of times and arguably were right there for the 1976 or 1967 national title. Uh, we had a brief run under Jim Young in the early 80s. We had the Joe Tiller years, I would say, from 97 to 2004 were his best times. Uh, so obviously we have those moments where we can – really, really be up there and maybe not among the national elite, but at least be able to compete for Big Ten titles. And it's nice to be able to be back there and kind of where we are right now, just rebuilding because it was it was bad under Hazel. Um, I don't do you have think to, a lot of... Do you have to... Yeah, did ahead. you have to go to therapy? 
I, I feel like it sometimes, especially uh, I think one of the lowest points was in that 2013 season. We were just abysmal, and I was drawing comparisons statistically to the worst Big Ten team of all time. Generally, the standard of that is 1981 Northwestern, where they went 0-11 and just weren't even competitive in games. And that, that was basically Purdue in 2013. And I remember going to the Illinois game that year, and Illinois came in. They had lost 20 Big Ten games in a row, which is one of the longest streaks in recent years of futility within the conference. And I remember going to that game strangely excited just because we actually had a chance to win a game, and we lost 20-16. to 16. <laughs> And it was... This was after leading 14-7 to after a quarter. The only two points we scored in the final three quarters were an intentional safety as time expired for Illinois. Jeez. <laughs> and it, it just, uh, it was so bad. And I, I remember thinking, I paid full price for that game because I've been a season ticket holder for many years. And there were games, there were tickets for that game going for as low as, I believe, 37 cents. <laughs> How do you buy a ticket for thirty-seven cents? It would. I just remember looking on StubHub, and now they actually have the minimum, where I think the lowest you can go is like six dollars or something. But there were multiple listings for well under a dollar for that game on StubHub, and it was just absolutely. I mean, it was crazy. And then, you know, even then, I was still kind of blinded by the whole. Okay, Hazel just needs a year. He needs to get his recruits in here and everything else. And kind of where it really hit rock bottom was two years later, again, when we played Illinois. And they had the worst rushing offense in the conference at the time. And they ran for like 415 yards on us without any trouble whatsoever. And that was just kind of the – that was the last straw. That was the, okay, it's been three years. It's not getting any better. And – just it was it, just being a Purdue fan during the Hazel era was very very rough, and it was as, going back to your original point. It was a lot like being a Kansas fan in that there just wasn't any hope. I mean, we won three Big Ten games in that time, one of them being over Nebraska, and it, I don't even think it was so much what Purdue did in that game. It was mostly Riker Five having an absolute meltdown at quarterback, and I th- you think he had like what four or five interceptions and a lost yeah. fumble. And even you know, it, then, it, it, we did everything possible to let Nebraska back into that game to the point where you almost were able to recover an onside kick that would have put you within a point, within a score in the final 30 seconds. And it just, uh, it was maddening. The other thing about that game is the wind was blowing a lot, and we kept throwing the ball. Like, <laughs> I have no idea why that happened, but... Yeah, anyway, you know, when you say Daryl Hazel, I'm sure that you have this need to spew massive amounts of profanity. Uh, when, we, uh, when when somebody says Mike Riley to me, I, I get all, you know, we've, we've had it. For Nebraska, I mean, Nebraska, football obviously is our sport. and We've had some coaches where you could do that, you know, we're just, we're not up to the standard we want. Uh, so now things look like they're turning around. You guys hired Jeff Brom, and uh, you kept him. How did, how did... I have to say that was a bit of a surprise that we've kept him the last two years because we, we knew late last year that Louisville was going to make a push. And I remember 
as early as his very first game at Purdue was against Louisville, and it was played here in Indianapolis. So uh, my wife and I went to that game at the Colts Stadium. There's a lot of a lot of Louisville fans that made the drive up for it and everything else. And I remember running into a few Louisville fans on the concourse, and they're like, hey, you guys got a good coach. We're going to come after him whenever Petrino's gone. So that was two years ago. And they, they already wanted him as early as 2017 in the very first game. So it was always in the back of our minds that they were going to come hard after him. And I honestly think that the timing was probably wrong. I've, I've got to give Brom a lot of credit that he was loyal to the players here at Purdue after both years that he had somebody coming after him because Tennessee came after him in 2017 in Louisville last year. And I, I really respect him for just speaking to his players, being very honest and saying, Hey, I started this here. And as much of a connection as I have to the university of Louisville, I, I want to continue building what I have at Purdue. Also, Five million dollars a year, or whatever he's getting paid now, certainly helps. <laughs> right? Do you do you now? Do you honestly think that's because of what's going on at Purdue, or do you think he looked at Louisville and saw a program and a place that is a complete mess and has booster interference coming out its ears, and and said, "I I don't want any part of that." I think there is both parts of it. Um, I know that he has taken advantage of that because he's recruited the Louisville area pretty heavily, and we've gotten quite a few excellent players out of that area uh, recently under him, uh, most notably, of course, Rondale Moore. And I I really think that, that had, if there was a little bit more stability there, uh, he probably would have jumped. But I also think had there been more stability, Petrino would have stayed and it was. Pro- I always felt like he was going to be at Purdue about four or five years before they came after him, not two. And I think part of the timing issue was just Petrino fell off a cliff last year, and they basically had no choice but to fire him immediately and go after somebody else. So really that's probably what mixed it up. And it's going to be interesting to see how this settles out now because Honestly, I don't know what to think about this year with with our team. We're, we only have, I think, according to my count, 33 scholarship players that have even played a collegiate game. Uh, that's, you know, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Everybody else on the roster, at least scholarship-wise, are is either a freshman, a true freshman, or a registered freshman. So we're going to be extremely young. And he has greatly improved the recruiting. I mean, by leaps and bounds, uh, he had a top 25 recruiting class this past year, for uh, according to 24-7. That's the first time since 2002 we can say that we've had a top 25 recruiting class. And, uh, you know, that's a huge step forward. So we've got more talent coming in. He's got a solid one lined up for 2020. But they that talent needs to gain some experience. So I think you're going to see a team that has some ups and downs, and I wouldn't be surprised for a third straight six and six season. And you start to hear some grumblings of, okay, you know, that three straight, you know, one six and six after just the dismal hazel years is great. Two, eh, okay, three in a row might hear some grumblings, but I also think it also sets up for a really, really solid leap forward in 2020 and 2021. 
We, you guys also have, uh, I mean, you've been around SB Nation for quite a while, and I, I, you know, I, I, I like Purdue under the Joe Tiller years. I enjoyed watching his brand of football. But you, in the past, when the Hazel years were around, you were very upset and always discouraged about your athletic department as well. I mean, you guys didn't get permanent lights at ross Stadium until 2017, correct? That is correct, and that was we were champions of getting lights probably as far back as like 2010, 2011, and just it became more and more absurd when we were. I forget what year I looked it up, but there was one where I looked through every Division One major conference program in the Power Five, and there were I think four left that did not have lights, and they were all in the Big Ten. I believe it was Ohio State, surprisingly enough, Michigan State, Northwestern, and Purdue. And then Michigan State and Ohio State added their permanent lights. And Morgan Burke, our previous athletic director, while he had been there for a very long time and he had ushered Purdue Sports through a lot of facility improvements and everything, he was not exactly the most forward-thinking athletic director, especially when it came to football. And since Mike Babinski was hired to replace him when Burke retired, we've seen a transition not just in football, but across the across the entire university, sports-wise, with a lot more forward-thinking ideas. I know, like, our social media campaigns and our promotional campaigns have improved significantly Whereas under Burke, you would barely see a billboard in the city of Indianapolis advertising tickets for sale, <laughs> let alone like a commercial or any kind of social media push to buy tickets and whatnot. So it's so a I relief saw, to see that. I, I saw that you were extremely happy that – is it Bobinski or Bobinski? Uh, I've, heard bo- I've heard both. I think it's Bobinski, but, yeah, he I'm – really happy that he just got another two-year extension on his contract and by the time by the end of Burke's tenure we were Burke haters we were we were tired of the excuses we were tired of just the lack of anything that was promotional forward thinking or anything else he was very very much the status quo and you know he was always like the yeah we'll build I believe one of his quotes was once I'll build lights when basically when I absolutely have to, but I prefer noon games where I can control the kickoff time because we don't want to have the extra security or anything else after night games without realizing that with the lights, it allowed us to have some more night games, maybe some bigger crowds, bigger atmospheres or anything and anything else. And he had pretty much locked us into the whole, well, the big Ten is never going to, pay for the temporary lights because that was his other thing was he didn't want to have a night game unless TV paid for the temporary lights. Well, TV is not going to put us in a night game because we suck. <laughs> right. I mean, where there were, oh. BTN is making the conference unbelievable crap with tons of money. That, uh-huh. that did, never factored into that with his thinking? Uh, he would use that money to kind of keep his big thing was he wanted to keep the athletic department in the black. Uh, He always marketed that they never take any money from the school's general funds. They actually would give some back every year 
uh, and it was not a not a small amount. It was like four or five million dollars that they would give back to the university each year under the guise of okay, picking up trash in the parking garages and everything else on campus during football and basketball. So they were leaving money on the table to build the football program up. And kind of the first thing, or the last thing I should say that he did was he started the new football performance facility, which is the gorgeous new you know, locker room, the new weight facility, the training rooms, everything else that cost $65 million that opened during the uh, right before the 2017 season. And that was kind of his final major facility improvement. And at the time, it was desperately needed because, according to their studies, we were way behind everybody else in the Big Ten when it came to just sheer facilities and support facilities for the program and everything else. So that was a big, big push, but it was kind of only the beginning, and it's been up to Babinski here to push forward to it and start improving ross Stadium and everything. And my understanding is, is now in 2019, you've started renovation at ross Aid. What's that about? There, there, there are some, you're starting to see the beginning of it. Uh, this year, we will have a brand new ribbon board scoreboard across the north end zone. Uh, that's replacing a scoreboard that's been there since I was a kid in the 80s. <laughs> Uh, and it looks like it's going to be really, really nice. Uh, and then the next plan is after this season, we will be replacing the main scoreboard in the south end zone with a much larger one and just completely redoing that part in preparation for a larger like club facility, club seating, maybe visitor's locker room uh, that will be part of that new south end zone that they want to do and then some more general renovations. We don't have a defined look yet quite what it's going to look like. There's been some other um, ones that have been released before, some ideas that they want. But the first major, major part will be the replacement of the South End Zone scoreboard because in the words of Babinski, uh, the one that we have right now is on its last legs. They don't even make parts for it, and we have bought all the spare parts that we can find for it. And there's even a question of if it will last through the end of this season. <laughs> wow. Holy cow. They, That's they like, have actually they've got some contingency plans in place because, in his own words, we hope it turns on when we go to turn it on, and that's for all seven games. <laughs> well, Nebraska is coming there in November. <laughs> that would right? probably be one of the last things for it. Yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, I've I've never been to Purdue. What would Nebraska fans expect? Um, it's, uh, we have one of the smaller stadiums in the Big Ten, and it's one of the old school, just horseshoe style stadiums. Um, we did have a pretty extensive renovation in the early 2000s, uh, right after the Breeze years, where the current, uh, pavilion and press box and everything was built, and that is, that is very nice. It's very state of the art. It's still up to date. Um, you're gonna get some good old fashioned, uh, bench seats and football is going to be what you're going to watch, and that's kind of why I like it. I don't need a lot of the extra crap. I'm there to watch a football game. I don't need the uh, hide the football underneath the helmet on the scoreboard or anything like that. Um, I know that uh, Jim Harbaugh two years ago was complaining about the visitor's locker room not even having air conditioning, and that's because, well, we didn't really need air conditioning in the visitor's locker room when it might be needed one day a year. <laughs> uh, but I do think that they have it now in case you need it in November. 
Well, Jim Jim Harbaugh's kind of a wiener anyway. Yeah, he's just looking for stuff to complain. But I, I also remember when the visitor's locker room at the football stadium was the baseball locker room for our old baseball facility. And unfortunately, the players would have to walk about three-quarters of a mile across campus uh, to get to the baseball stadium to play. All right. To Nebraska and our basketball program, uh, I mean, our bra- you know, we've, we've never won an NCAA tournament game. Are they only Power Five or what do they call it in the basketball, the top five, group of five, whatever. Yeah. We're the only Power Five school that has never won an NCAA tournament game because Northwestern had to go and win theirs. Uh, we've hired Fred Hoiberg. What do you think of that? I think it's going to be interesting, and I honestly liked uh, Tim Miles. I thought he did a really good job with him, but I just think that it's really, really difficult right now to crack kind of the top echelon of the Big Ten, and it's if you earn an at-large bid out of the Big Ten, it, you've really done something. I know that Nebraska's had some good runs here recently, uh, some top four finishes, and but like as you said, it's a matter of you got to get that success in March. And if any program knows about trying to get that success in March, it's Purdue fans because I would argue we are one of the best college basketball programs that has not won a national title. It's probably up there between us and I would say Illinois as the two best programs that have never actually won a national title. And when you just look at the teams that you have to battle year in and year out just to be competitive, you've got Michigan State, you've got Michigan, Wisconsin's always really good, Maryland is always solid, Purdue is on a really good run right now, Indiana is allegedly a basketball school, I mean, <laughs> I, I could be told otherwise, uh, Ohio State is always pretty solid, uh, and that's just the teams that are good right now. You, you know, Illinois is obviously kind of struggling right now, uh, but Iowa is always really competitive, and so it's just tough. And you've got to find a way to to get an at-large bid. You've probably got to find a way to win at least nine or ten Big Ten games a year, and that's not easy for anybody. I'm looking at the standings from last year. Only six teams won ten games or more in the conference. So <laughs> that's difficult regardless of what's going on, and it's going to be tough because – you guys, I think you have a great arena. You've always had really solid fan support and everything. But the Big Ten schedule is just a grinder, and it's a matter of you've got to be able to I, – I think you have to defend your home court where you go 10-0, and 9-1, 8-2, and then you've got to hope that you can get just a few games here and there on the road. And that's really the recipe for success in the Big Ten is how well do you defend home court. So if Hoiberg can do that, from the beginning, that's going to help him along, uh, help him along, and have a lot of success in the conference. I think Nebraska fans are probably among the most knowledgeable fans when it comes to college football. When it comes to college basketball, our our culture is is that our concept of football transfers over to basketball, and people get very upset if we even lose road games. I don't think Nebraska fans have a good knowledge or concept or acceptance of the fact of how hard it is to win on the road in Big Ten basketball. 
and and the interesting thing about that is I've written I wrote about this the past year. Uh, we now have counting our two our outgoing seniors this year. We have three straight classes at Purdue that have completed what I call the Delaney Dozen, where they have won in every Big Ten arena over the course of their careers, at least once, which can be really, really hard because with the with the uh, unbalanced schedule, you might get you might only get one shot in your four years, uh, depending on if you play a team once uh, once or twice at each season or whatever. Um, and part of the difficulty that comes with that Delaney dozen is here we have Mackey Arena. We don't lose in Mackey Arena. I think we're something like. 67 and four the last four years in Mackey Arena, so it's really difficult for anybody else in the Big Ten to complete the Delaney Dozen when we don't lose at home and they can't get that win at Purdue, and that's just one of the home courts uh, that you have. You have, I'm looking at the uh, Big Ten standings again from last year. Michigan, Michigan State, and Purdue went a combined 47 and two at home overall. That's three teams right there. Yeah, and, you know, Michigan State lost once at home, Michigan lost once at home, and Purdue was undefeated at home. That makes it tough for the rest of the conference. <laughs> so, Fred Hoiberg, when you say when you hear the guy's name, I mean, from an outsider, what what do you think of that hire? Just to, if I it's said, true. just give me a word. Yeah, former Pacer, honestly. And uh, I say that because I remember he was drafted by the Pacers, and he always kind of had a strange – people in the state of Indiana always gave him a bit of a strange look because he took the roster spot from the great Damon Bailey. And I don't know if you're familiar with the name Damon Bailey. Yes. But, yeah, he was – Damon Bailey is the all-time leading scorer for high school players in the state of Indiana. And – he then chose to go play for Bob Knight at IU, which essentially canonized him as a player, and he can do absolutely no wrong with the state of Indiana. And he was drafted by the Pacers in the second round and never had an NBA career because essentially Fred Hoiberg took his roster spot. So <laughs> that that's just a strange coincidence right there. But I know that Hoiberg has had some success. He was obviously with the Bulls. He was a decent role player for many years in the NBA. He had some success at Iowa State. And, you know, if you're looking at a guy that's going to get Nebraska to the tournament regularly and finally get that first uh, NCAA tournament win, that's a good hire. But is he going to be the guy that's going to suddenly come in and have Nebraska competing to win Big Ten basketball championships and get the Sweet 16s and Final Fours? I mean, that's that's difficult to say just because you do have – so many established programs right now within the Big Ten, and it is just, it's tough. I mean, it's, it, it's really, really hard to compete and win the Big Ten. I I often think, and I'm probably in the minority here, I think it is harder to win a Big Ten regular season basketball championship than it is to reach a Final Four. And I say that because the Final Four, as we've seen, in recent years, I believe that before this year, there were five straight years where a seven seed or worse made the final four. And you can get hot for four days on a neutral court 
and make a Final Four. To win a Big Ten title, you've got to win at least 16 games over two months and likely win at least six or seven times in very hostile road environments. And that's just really, really insanely difficult to do. It's just, it's a marathon. It's a battle of attrition. You've got to get some luck. And, you know, what Purdue's done the last couple of years, we're essentially one rebound away from three straight Big Ten titles. If we can box out uh, Kata Bates Giap for Ohio State in the 2017-18 season and get one rebound at the end of the Ohio State game where we lost at home by a point, we win that game, we win the Big Ten that year, and we've won three straight titles. <laughs> wow. But at the same time, that's, that's luck. I mean, we, we're that close. And that was one of the best teams in Purdue history, but they still didn't officially win any kind of championship. And so it's, it's a kind of a strange year to look at it, too. Okay, so last year... I paid. I, I try to pay. I enjoy Big Ten basketball. I, I'm 57 years old, and I've waited my entire life for us to win one bloody NCAA tournament game. So, the idea that we'd get to a Final Four is we're going to colonize Mars. You know what I mean? They're about oh, yeah, in the same yeah. range. Okay. So first things first. But last year, you guys, I paid attention to your site and Purdue fans. They wanted Matt Painter strung up on a pole early in the season, didn't they? Um, I don't know if it was Painter so much as we were just – we were really down on the team. And when you lose four senior starters, nobody has four senior starters in college basketball anymore unless you're, you know, some small school in the middle of Pennsylvania playing in the Patriot League. You might have four senior starters. You don't have four senior starters in a major conference. And it just took a while for this team to adjust and kind of grow into itself. And I honestly think that by the end of the season, Painter had done the best coaching job of his entire career. Because I was at the game here in Indy where they lost to Notre Dame by eight points. And it dropped us to six and five on the season. We had lost all of our major non-conference games to that point to Virginia Tech, to Texas. We lost the uh, Florida State game and the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We lost to Notre Dame. And a couple of them were just agonizingly close losses. And honestly, I didn't think we looked like an NCAA tournament team. And in the span of a couple of weeks, he turned it around. And this the team bought in. They were able to, you know, kind of write themselves and start playing within themselves. Carson Edwards really kind of played more within himself while still being able to do Carson Edwards things. And then we had that great run in the tournament where Edwards just went to another level. And I think as Purdue fans, we have a bit of a complex because it's been 40 years since we've been to a final four and it's, we just have, you know, I call it PTSD Purdue tournament stress disorder because we are always, we always find a way to blow it. Something always seems to happen where you have 1988, maybe the best team in our school's history loses to Kansas State in the Sweet 16, and we had beaten them by 30 points in that December in a non-conference game. You have 1994 with Glenn Robinson, probably the best player we've ever had individually, number one overall pick, 
he hurts his back after beating Kansas in the Sweet 16, and it just isn't very effective when we lose to Duke. Uh, 96, we lose in the second round as a number one seed. 98, we blow a game to Stanford where it was more of a uh, boxing match than a basketball game, and we lose to Stanford in the Sweet 16. I know 2000, we finally get the broken bracket. We're playing eight-seeded Wisconsin in the Elite Eight, and this was supposed to be the year that Katie finally broke through and made a Final Four, and we lose to bloody Wisconsin for the third time in four games because we played them four times that year. And just year after year after year of of all this happening, and then I haven't even gotten to Robbie Hummel getting hurt or Isaac Haas getting hurt. And then this year's run was just magical, and I, I managed to get there to Louisville for the uh, game against Virginia. And as I've said many times, we came literally as close as you can get to a Final Four without actually going. We were two-tenths of a second away. And when uh, when the ball got knocked into the backcourt after their missed free throw with four seconds left, my very first thought was, we're going to the Final Four because there's no way they can get a shot off. And that's either going to go out of bounds at the end of the court or they'll grab it and they'll throw up a half-court prayer. And somehow they converted it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there in the arena and I just I, – I'm staring up at the ceiling and I and, – I give all the credit in the world to the Virginia team because they made one hell of a team play, and that's the one team that could actually have the focus and the ability to not panic there because anybody else, a freshman guard, gets that ball 60 feet from the basket with three seconds left and the clock running down, what do they do? They panic and they throw up the half-court shot. No, he manages to fire this cross-court pass to a teammate that barely gets the shot off to tie it. And... It, it, on the one hand, it's the, oh, great, just our luck. But on the other, I was strangely encouraged because it's like something felt different with that, that we came that close, and it feels like we are going to have that breakthrough eventually. And maybe maybe I'm just still kind of basking in the moment of it or anything else, but it was a pretty special moment, and it will be nice to get there. And it's kind of my sports white whale now that the Cubs have finally won a World Series to see Purdue actually make a Final Four. And while this adds to the heartbreak, it's going to make it that much sweeter when it finally happens. So you've talked a lot about basketball. I mean, if you yeah. go to the, the the football equivalent, I mean, what is my hope for our basketball team is to win a freaking NCAA tournament game. When you look at Purdue football, I mean, what do Purdue fans really hope for? Well, I know I'm old enough that I was a student when Drew Brees was there. And Brees is an absolute legend, obviously. I got to go to the Rose Bowl when he took us to the Rose Bowl. And, you know, that that's kind of that's kind of my Cubs winning the World Series moment is I'm sitting in the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. I hear our uh, – and kind of the moment that it really sunk in for me was we have this poem that – they read as the band is presenting the colors for the national anthem. It's called I am an American. And there's always a line that they modify for the specific game. And it's, you know, usually it's, you know, or you can sweep them clear across this bright September sky. And they said this beautiful Southern California sky and every Purdue fan just went crazy. And that was the pinnacle. We had reached it. We made it to the Rose bowl. 
And I don't think it's going to get a whole lot better than this because I have no delusions that Purdue is ever even going to make the uh, the uh, college football playoff. I think if we made a Big Ten title game, that would be, you know, that would be just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful year for us because we only have one 10-win season in Purdue history. So I would say competing for a Big Ten championship, making it to Indy, and if we were to win the Big Ten title game in Indy, that would just be it. Any bowl appearance or anything that would happen after that would just be gravy because we can't imagine it. That would Winning a college football national title is up there with, you know, you guys winning an NCAA national title in basketball. We just would like to get there and win a Big Ten championship. That would be huge for us. And for a lot of Purdue fans, we got to see that in 2000 with Breeze. And, uh, you know, it allows us to hold that over the heads of Indiana because they haven't won one since 1967. There is that Indiana thing, huh? (laughs) It's not so much there in football. Um mostly for Purdue fans, it's the, okay, we're not great. We're better than Indiana in football. Where that really is is basketball because we have to hear the five banners crap everywhere we go. They haven't won a national title uh, in 32 years, but they've still won five of them, and we haven't won one. And another personal thing for me is a lot of Purdue fans will be like, hey, we have won one in 1932, and I'm like, Okay, that was 1932. That was before the NCAA tournament even existed. That was an awarded title. And while, yes, we have the banner up in our arena, and yes, it's officially recognized as a national title, to me, that's just, you're like, really? You're going to triumph something? You're getting back at somebody saying that they have their dusty banners and haven't won one in 32 years, and your reputation is, well, we we did win one, and I'm sure it was 90 years ago, but we won one. Okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to change the Purdue is a university. Yes. My rotten son got accepted there. Oh, okay? really? Yes, I have a photo. I have a photo of my son, who is now my rotten son, holding a thing that says Isaiah Johnston. Congratulations, you are a boiler. Uh, he didn't go to Purdue. He went to the University of Minnesota where he's majoring in applied math. That's why he's my rotten son. Uh, but uh, what is the, the – we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Uh, Purdue has a huge tie to NASA, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. Tell me just a little bit about Purdue as a university. It is a major, major uh, – engineering school and science technology school. That is definitely what we are known for. Um, I believe we're at 22 or 23 astronauts now, including uh, I'm contractually obligated to say that, yes, Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, was a Purdue alum. Uh, I also like to add that Gene Cernan, the last man on the moon, was a Purdue alum, so you have the first on, last off there. Uh, but that is definitely what they are touting. Uh, this is officially also the 150th anniversary of the founding of the university in 1869, and conveniently the 100th anniversary of our most famous campus bar, Harry's Chocolate Shop. So, <laughs> uh, uh, but it is, you know, it is definitely known for its science and its technology. And I was the fool that went there for communications. 
Um, uh, we also have a very good vet school. My dad is an alum of the pharmacy school, one of the very few uh, universities that has a pharmacy school but does not have a medical school. And we are also one of the very few universities in the Big Ten that does not have a law school. So we are very much a agriculture, science, technology school like that. Um, and all of our alums are fiercely loyal because we don't have a national following even of a Nebraska in sports. You know, we're little Purdue. People think that we are a private school unless uh, you're from the state of Indiana and know that it is a state school. We're technically the land-grant college for Purdue, so we or for Purdue, for the state of Indiana. So we've got that going for us. And, uh, you know, we just kind of – we that's what we are is we're we're proud of what we've accomplished and everything else and we definitely tout the NASA thing that is our big uh, national thing but we also have a couple of other famous alums like Orville Redenbacher um, was a Purdue alum Jim Gaffigan at least attended Purdue and was a walk on on the football team in the eighties so I, I did know not know that. know that I did not yeah. know that uh, you, you can actually if you search you can find a picture of him. Uh, in his football uniform, uh, I don't know if he ever actually played, but he was a walk-on. Interesting. Okay, Purdue Pete, one of the most terrifying mascots in all of football. Is he addicted to meth? Is he addicted to crack? Does he just follow each addiction epidemic as it goes along, or what's the deal with Purdue Pete? I think he also has Purdue tournament stress disorder because he's seen some stuff. <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> I think that's it. I mean, uh, obvious. I think probably the closest thing that we've had in football was uh, Purdue fans call it the fumble, uh, where it's 2004. Kyle Orton is leading the Heisman race. Purdue is ranked fifth in the nation, the highest ranking that we've had in decades. We have college game day on campus. We're playing Wisconsin, and we blow a 10-point lead against Wisconsin with eight minutes to go. Uh, we have the ball with about, I, th I think it was like two and a half, three minutes to go. The lead is three points. All we really need is a first down to salt the game away. Orton goes on a bootleg. He dives for the first down, gets upended, fumbles the ball, and Wisconsin returns it for a touchdown and wins the game by three points, starts a four-game losing streak, and strangely enough, it started the downfall of Purdue football from the pinnacle of being ranked fifth there to nine years later, we have the Hazel 1-11 and 11 year in 2013. And if you look at every event in Purdue football from that point, it was a constant downward motion to the Hazel era. And only now are we digging out of it with Jeff Brom. So that probably does explain the uh, haunted look to go with all the basketball misery that we've had in the month of March. Um, because only at Purdue would we have a 30-win season and our one unstoppable offensive threat busts his elbow in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> in a game where we're leading by 20-plus points, and he is just pulled to the ground by some nameless Cal State Fullerton forward, uh, and it just shatters his elbow. And we went from I, – I just remember watching that game in the afternoon, and 
it was like, oh, Haas got hurt. Uh, he'll be all right. He'll shake it off and everything. He stayed in the game after that. And, you know, we we got our predictable win over the 15 seed to half an hour after the game, it, bra- it comes out that he broke his elbow and is out for the rest of the tournament. And every Purdue fan is like, oh, you've got to be friggin' kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, Who's more terrifying? I mean, we both have biases. Purdue Pete or Little Red? I'm going to go with Pete. Uh, Pete's seen some stuff, and there's there's some real pain behind those eyes. That's just a thousand-yard stare that he's got going. (laughs) Okay. There are are a lot of Nebraska fans who hate Little Red. Hate. I am not one of them. I think he's unique and bouncy and fun, but there are people out there that – hate the idea that we have him for a mascot all right we're going to wrap it up uh we've been with travis miller the founder and current site manager of hammerandrails.com the sb nation purdue site is there anything else you'd like to say in closing travis um we actually had our own version of little red if you look up rowdy for purdue in the early 2000s it he actually could be uh, Little Red's cousin. Uh, same look, same inflatable thing and everything else. He's been retired for some time, but uh, I think that's probably why we get along so well is uh, because Little Red doesn't affect us when we had our own Little Red with Rowdy. That is, I did look that up, and it's, uh, okay, yeah, whatever. All right, we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Travis. I hope you have a good uh, rest of the day, rest of the week. I'd wish you luck with your football program, but not that much. Um, This has been John's Post-Life Crisis. I thank you all for listening. You too have a good day and goodbye.